What is up, wrestling fans? Welcome to another pay-per-view point edition of the Smart Out Moment Smack Talk podcast, where we're going to be talking about AEW's All Out 2021 pay-per-view, which just ended a few minutes ago. It's the big show with, well, the big show was on it, but also CM Punk. We had a couple other surprises in the mix, too. We got some great matches. We got some negative things, not anything super bad to be, you know, crapping on too much, at least not from my perspective, uh, but we got a variety of opinions and we're going to be telling you what we thought. We want to know what you have to think as well. So drop your comments below, or if you are in the live chat right now, which thank you massively to Huerta in the live chat, $50 donation for the super chat. Here's to the celebration of professional wrestling and helping any little amount I can for your wedding. Congrats, Tony. Thank you incredibly much. Thank you to everybody who's going to be in the mix on this. Thank you to all those who can't join live but are able to listen after the fact. Whatever it might be, thank you for being here. I am your host, as always, Tony Mango. Joining me for this is Callum Wiggins. Uh, Tony, I'm happy to be here on, I think I can honestly say, is an all-time great pay-per-view. It was all out, not all time. So... (laughs) I had to. It's I'm, terrible, I'm, but I'm I had now, to. I'm now regretting my decision to come onto this show. <laughs> <laughs> and everybody's regretting their decision to turn in and listen to it, but I had to. Come on. Can you refund him that $50 now? <laughs> no, it's not refundable. <laughs> There's a contingency of, like, you know, it comes with these terrible jokes that I have to make. Uh, William in the chat says, Big Show was the best thing on this card. Payton says, Some negative things equals QT Marshall. <laughs> um, yeah, so generally speaking... You're feeling super big thumbs up, happy fun time, right? Oh, absolutely. Like most of the matches delivered to a high level. And more than anything else, it was just a case of this company got a lot bigger and a lot more. Like, they've already got CM Punk and now they've just added even more depth and value to that roster. It's just not just a case of like bringing on uh, people from the independent circuit, it's bringing in really established names. And yeah. It's all looking really good at the moment for this company. I mean, the biggest takeaways we're going to get to, uh, we'll just say it in case anybody is tuning in wanting to know what happens. The absolute biggest takeaways probably for most people are going to be the last two things that happened for the night, which was the Adam Cole surprise and the Brian Danielson surprise. There are other things we're going to talk about. There's another surprise that happened uh, in the casino about a Royale. There's... Uh, some good matches and everything. Uh, Marquise in the chat, another super chat. Magic, that was magic. Thank you for the super chat for that. Michael Patrick says, what a damn good show. Um, is there anything you want to start with before we just start getting into the matches themselves? Is there any kind of like a preamble or anything? I mean, I wouldn't say there's anything in particular beyond the fact that this, essentially AEW is really starting to as we've said before, is generating a significant amount of steam. It's pride, Adam Cole away from WWE. It's Brian Danielson is now no longer part of the WWE family, is now firmly here, even though we kind of all specul- all knew this was going to be the case for a couple of months now. Adam Cole is completely fresh and it's just a case of I want I guess they just WWE couldn't promise him what he wanted. So but this is all super cool that this promotion is getting all these people. It seems like it's so much more vibrant and fun environment to be in right now. Yeah, I, I, 
as, as I was saying, I thought this was an absolutely great show, and it's it kind of sets. I think it sets a new precedent, not a precedent, but it sets a new, I guess, uh, era for the promotion as well with these people coming in. This is a game changing pay per view for sure. This is one people are going to look back on, and they're going to say this is where X, Y, and Z started, and you know we're going to see this on countless video package things going in the future. It's a uh, even if some in- individual elements weren't fantastic, this is a memorable pay-per-view, to say the least. Mm. Grimshot, another super chat. Thank you for the super chat. says, you could give me nine Punjabi prison matches and one Lucha Bros Young Bucks match, and I would still give this a five-star pay-per-view. What a match. We're definitely going to talk about that one. That was fantastic. Mm. Marquise also says, uh, this was what pro wrestling is all about. Can't deny that. That's for sure. So, again, tell us your thoughts, whether it's in the live chat or if it is in the chat uh, comment section below if you're not listening live. And while you're over in whatever fashion it is on YouTube or whatever, hit the like button, the share, the subscribe, all that good stuff. The thanks button if you want to toss a little bit of the spare change our way in that fashion. If you feel so inclined, join the members-only platform. Check out our most recent Darkcast, for instance. We, uh, Rob and I watched the Russell Grand Slam Night 2, which... You know, it's not something that I normally do. So if you want to check that out, that's over there as a dark cast. Patreon.com slash moment And the T Public and Redbubble shops are also two things that you could do where if you want to pick up some merchandise or something, that helps the channel grow as well. Wanted to get those plugs out of the way before we start diving into this. And the buy-in was the 10-man tag team match. Best Friends and Jurassic Express defeated the HFO by submission. Just a standard match, you know, whets your appetite. Nothing really too much going on here, but nothing to complain about either. It was just a fun, generic match, in my mind. Yeah, it was, um, I, I kind of compare it to kind of a PWG 10-man tag match, which essentially everyone can get in the ring at any point in time. The rules don't matter. Just have fun, have some cool little spots, like the the chain of submission things they were doing in there with Luchasaurus then taking them all down. The babyface team, everyone was really over, apart from Willow Utah, but he's still like establishing himself at this point. Um, Luchasaurus was pretty much dominant in every uh, point that he was in the match. He was like uh, uh, presented as the monster that he is, and yeah, all it just all just goes along. Even though it's got a bit like sloppy and disjointed in places, it was just a a fun, uh, nothing well, nothing serious, no, no stakes. 10-man tag where the baby faces win because of course the baby faces win because why would you have the heels win yeah the <laughs> for match. the go in type of thing yeah you're yeah. not going to do that I will, I will say the one thing that I take away that's maybe a slight negative on this match is that I think that Jack Evans at this point the only thing that he really is good for is getting beaten up by people yeah he was kind of the weak link out of the bunch no yeah, not kind of he was because I, I remember watching him in Lucha Underground and thought that he wasn't like going to be like a mega star or anything like that but he was very like athletic and flexible and can do a lot of cool stuff in the ring and now he just looks like he's off the pace a bit now and when you when you do some of the moves that he does and still try and do some of the more flexible and acrobatic stuff but you're doing it at a slower pace then it it makes it stand out a little bit more so i'm I'm kind of happy with him not getting much of any offense in, in these matches anymore and that's why i was kind of happy about the fact that hey butcher's back yeah, at the end of the match, uh, the Butcher and the Blade and the rest of the HFO 
start beating down on Orange Cassidy, and then some of the baby faces come out, even though the company is not supposed to have baby faces and heels, you know how it works, with uh, some Dark Order members, uh, it was Dante Martin, Varsity Blondes, uh, you know, just to come out to... Yeah, Ten and John Silver, yeah, as well. Yeah, just to reiterate, like, hey, you know, there are still people that can join in, and we could get some, like, 20-man tag team thing at some point. It's just a means to get some people on the card, I think, more than anything else. They don't wrestle for the pay-per-view. Like, Varsity Blondes didn't have a match, but, you know, they got to do something. Nothing bad yeah, about that. that. Well, I think, I think the most important takeaway from the post-match attack was the stay Butcher. threatened to cut. No, no, but no, not as much Butcher. It's more the fact they threatened to cut Orange Cassidy's hair. Do you think we're getting they, a hair versus hair match down the line? Yeah. I don't know who it is. I mean, I assume it would be Cassidy against uh, Matt Hardy. Yeah, that's but, the biggest match out of the bunch. But we've already seen that match as well. Like hmm. That was on a recent Dynamite, so that's why I'm thinking that it might not necessarily be that one, but I assume there must be something that's been involved with... Uh, there, there will be some sort of hair stipulation match down the road. And I'd be totally fine. It'd be quite cool that if Hardy would lose his hair at this point. He yeah, does seem to be growing it. I think he's growing it out intentionally at the moment so he can get it cut afterwards. Unless they do something where we've seen some other uh, promotions do this in the past where it's like a hair versus hair match and they just cut the hair. They don't like shave them bald because then it's just like, why do you even bother? You know? Oh, no. Now he's got a different haircut that looks perfectly fine. <laughs> nah, butcher it. Do like a... You know what they do in like the Jackass movie where they have like the razor and they just kind of shave parts of it, so you need to shave the whole thing off. Go mm-hmm. full blown on it. Grimshot thinks uh, Cassidy would lose a hair versus hair match. More merch would move with new designs. <laughs> Bald orange Cassidy looks. Yeah, I, I think it's 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 a very rare situation where you have a baby face lose a hair versus hair match. Yeah, you know what? I can't think of the last time that that would have happened. Um, it would have been, well, there, there are two instances that spring to mind, none of which would particularly, I think went down particularly well. Um, Eugene against Eric Bischoff, where Eugene got yeah. his head shaved after that. And so like, okay. And obviously so, the reason why they did that, cause they thought that that would be like, you know, hilarious. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, the other one is, uh, Roxy Laveau in TNA, where they had that. Oh yeah. That really bizarre women's ladder battle royal thing where oh whoever it was it's the weirdest match that i can't read really if you to go into the description but essentially it ended up with beautiful people costing roxy the match and so it meant that because she didn't win the match and win a title shot it meant that she had to have her head shaved instead that's so, a name i haven't heard in a long time roxy mm. Laveau. wow it's but all, that had to be 10 years ago at this point, right? Oh, longer than that. Oof. That was probably about 2007. That was right at the start of the uh, women's uh, the, the knockouts division, like actually having a title in uh, Impact. So if we see a hair versus hair match down the line, you've heard it here first from, uh, from Callum. Or, well, yeah, they probably talked about it backstage, but you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah. After that, we had Dan Lambert cut a promo. Just to, I guess, basically put everybody on notice and just to remind people. We had a couple people that weren't on the card that showed up just to be like, remember, these are other people too. And I didn't think that was bad. It's a little buffer segments. Nothing wrong with that. 
yeah, just kind of promo, just remind people that men of the year are there and they're aligned with American Top Team now. Get a few UFC fighters on the show as well. Uh, they did tease that they might just come out and attack someone later in the show. That obviously didn't end up being the case, but yeah, that, that there is there is something there at the very least. At least they're doing something. Lambert's cutting some great promos. This wasn't as good as some of the other ones that he's had, but he's one of the most entertaining things that I've been seeing lately. Anytime he gets a mic, for the most part, I'm like, all right, I'm, I'm going to listen to this guy. This is good. And, uh, I forgot to mention, there was a sign that I really liked uh, that Orange Cassidy had brought out, which was, Orange Cassidy is okay, period. And it was written in, like, the most bland. It was just a white uh, poster board with black text. No odd font to it, nothing. It was, like, the most bland sign, which is perfect for that. So whoever made that sign, kudos to you. There was another great sign in the next match that I noticed from the very start, the TNT Championship match. Uh, it was the first thing that I noticed. The first thing that I wrote down was that there was a sign that said, my mom hates that I am here. <laughs> I want to know the story behind that. That person's mom has terrible taste. That's true. And uh, Miro successfully retains the title over Eddie Kingston with uh, more of a competitive match than I thought that it would be, to be honest. I thought this would end a little bit sooner. And I did not expect that an exposed turnbuckle will be a major part of it. I thought that this was going to be straightforward. Mirror just wins. We got a little bit of shenanigans. Well, I think people, some people that may have gone into this thinking that this match was going to be pretty short are underestimating how much they value Eddie Kingston. Eddie Kingston's not there to, as a jobber, it's just like a one and done thing with Miro. He is a top star in the company. I mean, he's wrestled twice for the world championship. He has to be, he has to be positioned in a certain way to be, okay, this has to be the toughest test that Miro's faced. I would say that the first note I wrote down for this thing was that wonderful redeem these nuts shirt, which I assume, <laughs> yeah, will, I assume will sell a big deal. The crowd was really behind Eddie for the entire match. Eddie was like getting fired up with Miro's shots whenever Miro started to like, hit a few like strikes towards him or back off a little bit. Eddie was getting right back into his face. Uh, Miro hit a wonderful drop kick in this match, which I just, he got so far off the ground. Just like figured like, okay, this guy's in the best shape of his life right now. So I'm glad he's able to pull stuff like that off. Uh, Eddie managed to get to the ropes after the game over. So the crowd like popped big for that as well. And it ends with a, um, essentially referee, getting involved, preventing Eddie from doing certain things, sending him into the turnbuckle. Miro does a mule kick, then running super kick. He pins Kingston. So, yeah, so you avoid having him tap out. Yeah. Well, my uh, perspective on this is that I believe that because it was a shady finish that we're going to get a rematch in New York after Ash Stadium. I can see that. And Kingston's going to win the TNT Championship. Oh, you think he's actually going to pull out the win at the end of that? Well, one of two things to happen is you're going to win the t championship. Well, that's where we're going to get the tap out. So I feel like they did two smart things here, which is have Eddie have a reason to believe that he was screwed over because he obviously Miro cheated to win. And so that means that if he wins it back in the second attempt, it gives, or it gives reason for the rematch and a reason for uh, Kingston to win it back. And it, if it's in New York, he'll get a monster reaction. And so, mm -hmm. and AEW's pretty, uh, like good at having people in their hometown win. So that's part of the reason why I think it, but otherwise they haven't had Eddie tap out here or pass out to the game over. And so if they wanted to do that and put a lot more heat onto Miro, then they could do that instead. 
I'm down Perfect. for Santa rematch, and especially yeah. with that environment and everything. I think that's a good idea. I like the fact they used the DDT as well. Yeah, I that- really like that they've been doing this with the whole like DDT is his kryptonite because it's such a simple move and everybody can do it. So mm. any match, whether it's you know Fuego or if he ends up fighting, you know Moxley or whatever. You could hit a DDT and it could be like, okay, crap, that's the thing that hurts him. So this person might actually win. And I'm hoping that whoever beats him for the title wins with a DDT. Just to kind of round that out, you know? Yeah, it would be a good thing. I don't know who, um, nobody really uses a DDT for their finisher except for, um, well, the only two people that I know from the roster are technically, like Moxley has some variant of him more of a brain buster type thing, but... Uh, Andrade as well, but he's a heel, so I don't know. I don't imagine he'd be the one beating Miro for the title. Yeah, maybe it is just uh, one of those things where somebody wins even though that's not their finisher. Because people win without yeah. their finishers once in a while, too. Oh, yeah. Uh, even, <laughs> either that, it's it, it, just it, Jake Roberts. <laughs> <laughs> isn't, isn't that... Um, I don't know whether Jake Roberts is like good or is like happy or not happy about this, because like, Miro is essentially getting the DDT over as a lethal move again. So like just like anybody's finisher or anything like that, it's like saying, "Oh my god, this move is gonna is likely gonna cost me my title at some point." I'd assume he'd be a hundred percent down for that. Oh yeah, I assume so. I just don't know whether he'd be so down with the idea that everyone's gonna start using a DBT in every match that they have against Miro. Yeah, it's true. like the opposite. Of, it's like the opposite. Of, like he was the only guy to ever use a DBT for a while. Now it's like Miro's the only guy that gets a DBT used on him in every match. Better to do that, though, than to be the way it's been for the past couple of decades where everybody does the DDT and it's not even a one count, you know? Yep, true. So if Kingston gets a title match down the line, New York is most likely the place where that's going to happen. And with this whole low blow situation and all, then it's a good enough setup for that. Thumbs up in my book. We went over to John Moxley versus Satoshi Kojima. And... Not a match that I have much to talk about. There's a couple matches that I really don't have anything to say. It's just that uh, I had never seen a Kojima match before. I didn't know what I was getting into. And I thought that it was fine. Um, Moxley wins. He got his head bitten. Uh, that was yeah, A lot of people were biting on this episode. Did you notice that? It's a, it's a, like, a pretty standard heel tactic. It's like very old school. There's at least uh, three matches where somebody was biting somebody in it. So... <laughs> Is that that and the Canadian Destroyer were the two things that like uh, every other match had it? It seemed. But the match itself, what do you think, Kojima and Moxley? Yeah, very good, very very good. Uh, it was the strong style match that I expected. I thought Kojima was actually more agile and was moving pretty well considering like his age and obviously the fact that he travelled over. So I was actually pleasantly surprised with how active he was in this match, and. Yes, there was like, it was essentially, it was a professional wrestling match. It wasn't super high octane. It wasn't like spot after spot after spot. It was just two guys beating the shit out of each other and throwing like suplexes and big moves on each other. Um, hit a few like German suplexes. Moxley was consistently avoiding the clothesline, which was like what was Kojima's like moving his arsenal. So he actually didn't really, he never hit the right armed clothesline at any point, or not for any sort of like pin attempt anyway. And then Moxley avoided that, hit a couple of paradigm shifts, and wins. So the result is everything that we expected it to be. But I thought the match was really good between these two. It actually made me want to, made me upset about the fact that Kojima's not going to be in the G1 this year. 
So, is Kojima somebody that you've seen quite a bit of matches of beforehand? Yeah, but it's mainly tag matches because he is a a legend at this point. He's been a legend probably ever since I started watching New Japan more regularly. So he's never he he doesn't have many one on one matches, at least not from well at, at this point in his career. He has them on, on occasion. He's actually had probably more this year than he's had at any other point this year. But that's uh, in, in in the last like five years or so. But that's mainly due to the fact that. Uh, New Japan's been hit by COVID so badly and has had such an issue over the past with injuries over the past year or so that he's had to be called into action to have more singles matches where other guys have been unavailable to wrestle. Based off of the previous matches you've seen, is this kind of on par or better than, or worse potentially than what he's uh, wrestled in like New Japan? Like if anybody, for instance, like in my case, having never seen him before, if somebody's like, oh, I want to check out more of his, is it? Something where this might have been like one of his standout matches, do you think? Or is this one of those like, yeah, it's a regular match. Go check out the rest of his stuff. It's really good. That kind of deal. It's it's, it's different. It's I think that the actual quality of the match was better than what I've seen of Kojima in more recent matches. The other issue is the fact that a lot of Kojima's spots or classic spots that he does in matches rely on the audience knowing what he does and who he is and why he does that stuff. So he, because he's such a legendary figure in Japan, people know when he does. Like he does a bit where he like reigns in chops in the mm-hmm. corner, yeah, and then he, he does that, that scream. Yeah, he does that scream at the end of it, and the scream is meant to uh, get response from the audience. And obviously, in an American crowd, you don't get as much response because not many people even know what he's saying or know the spot is even there. It's like when a uh, when Makito came over for a little while, she does a spot where she beats people in the head with. Which stands over the person in the corner and says, in Japanese, who is the cutest uh, wrestler in the world? And the crowd is supposed to respond to Ito-chan. But obviously in America, they don't know that you have to respond to uh, (laughs) Ito-chan as well. Or at least not like, I assume people that have seen her more regularly know how to to respond to that. But people that are watching her for the first time have no idea what she's, you're supposed to say that thing. So she just has to say it. And then hopefully over time it would like start to catch on. But yeah. I'd say that the crowd response is better in Japan, but the um, the actual match itself, I think, was a, a higher quality than what I've seen re- uh, in the recent years with, from Kojima. So after that, another surprise happens where Moxley is surprised to see Minoru Suzuki popping out. <laughs> yes. Now, I also don't know Suzuki, but you will. I assume that that's a, that's a big deal. Because the reaction, of course, was pretty damn great from the crowd. <laughs> Minoru Suzuki is very well known in America, and he's very well known in Japan as well, because he is, I think he's even, he might even be older than Kojima. He's certainly in that age range as well, with like the bat in the 50s. But he is a, he's a killing machine, essentially. <laughs> That's his role in New Japan, he's the head of Suzuki Goon, the faction there, and he's known for being a guy who delivers a significant amount of punishment, especially with his forearms, uh, but and then takes a lot of punishment and actually invites people to beat him up as much as they possibly can, and then he'll just hit them back even harder. He likes being in pain, and he likes delivering pain. That's essentially what his gimmick is. I'd say he's like, is it is if Mick Foley was Japanese and an actually like athletic wrestler? Hmm. So he's a perfect person to fight Moxley and have them beat the living shit out of each other. 
oh yeah, this match is gonna fucking I'm like this upcoming match that they're gonna have on a uh, dynamite is the match that you should be looking forward to the most if you know anything about them. But even if you don't know anything about Suzuki, you've never seen him before, then you're gonna you're you're gonna know what he's all about at this point. Again, I haven't seen him wrestle in a little bit because I I don't really follow New Japan as closely as I have done, but. If he's anything like he was last time that I saw him, I saw, I've, I've seen him live. That's how great he is. Saw him uh, in uh, the um, in the UK when New Japan came over. He had the, he was in the uh, main event against uh, Okada for the World Championship, and that match fucking like slapped. It's the best match I've ever seen live. Huh. And yeah, I'm super super excited to see what they do to each other. And obviously they had Suzuki um, hit the Gotch pile driver and. So to stand toward the end of it. So I only assume that Moxie's going to beat him in Cincinnati. But as a one-off thing, to have him show up and be part of this thing, I think he's going to leave one hell of an impression. Something to look forward to, that's for sure. Then the chat says Suzuki is 53. So, yeah, I mean, old. if you, uh, he looked pretty good. So, <laughs> you know, I'm excited I mean, to he see doesn't, He doesn't wrestle as much as he used to, obviously. So he And he keeps in good shape. So... I, he's not one of these um, 50-something-year-olds who's really, really slowed up at this point. I mean, and to be fair, with the style that he wrestles, he doesn't need to slow up too much because essentially just let's stand in the middle of the ring and beat the shit out of each other for a while. A much different thing than doing a bunch of aerial maneuvers and everything, right? Mm. Well, he does He does have one of the best drop kicks I've ever seen. So if he pulls that out, then that might be good as well. As well, when that was the AEW Women's World Championship match, Dr. Britt Baker, DMD, retaining over Chris Statlander. A couple of spots looked a little rough here, but other than, you know, a couple things here and there, nothing that really stood out. It's like, oh, this was a super terrible botch that I needed to write down or whatever. Just that was one note of just like, yeah, okay, there's some moments. But I liked some moments too, just the same. I liked Orange Cassidy getting real fired up and getting Statlander back into the ring for the, you know, almost getting counted out. Crowd went nuts for the Panama Sunrise. That's for sure. And ultimately, Baker manages to get Statlander to tap out to the lockjaw. Went about it as well as I expected that it would. Same sort of result that we were expecting, too. I thought this was great. I thought they had a really, really good match. Um, there's not again. There were a few like slight botches and stuff like that, but nothing that I thought were anything super significant. But things like the swinging neck break, swinging fisherman's neck break off the top turnbuckle, um, fisherman buster and stuff like that. You had I really thought Baker did some like beautiful movement into a backslide attempt and then uh, hit a DDT, which was sold very well. Uh, there was that one moment where the dangerous moment where it seemed like she was going to go for a delayed superplex yeah that was the uh-huh. moment that I, I think that i had written down okay there's been a couple spots here that... yeah but i thought though that it made it almost even better the fact that she managed to recover it and then hit the suplex at the superplex anyway it just again it, it makes it feel a bit real because it's like they're you're supposed to be mirroring an actual fight and fights do get sloppy occasionally so well yeah i thought the ending sequence was pretty good because statlander misses this pendulum moon soul hits the floor hard Baker then hits stomp off of the uh, steps. Cassidy gets really animated, which you obviously never see Cassidy do. Right. So I guess they're building up this romance storyline between him and Statlander. Which has been in the works for like 
almost two years at this point, practically. Yeah, so I'm t- totally cool with that being that. That's the thing that gets him animated. So yeah, that that's that's that works for me. I think the crowd responded to it well as well. So I think they know that that's kind of the way they're going with it. Yeah. And then after it looked for a little while, while Statlander could get back on top, they, I, I really like the finish because it was like Baker was just constantly hitting her with st- stuff to get the pin. So it's just hit the Panama Sunrise, gets a two count, hits another stomp, gets another two count, put on the lock jaw, force her to, I don't know if she tapped or passed out, either, either, either way it was just a case of, it, it was like, grinding them down it's just okay this didn't work try this this didn't work try this and then until you eventually get the win so yeah i thought this was a really good title match i think it's one of the um the best women's title matches i've seen and of course statlander comes out of it losing but looking good as she should have so we know down the line if all things work out well she's winning that title not like from baker but like she's going to be a champion at some point and this is another match that proves why she is a good choice for that so i i, I wouldn't be certain about the fact that she's going to win the title at some point you don't think so well it's just a case of like baker's going to hold this title for a while i assume whoever if, if it is funder rosa that ends up being it for it obviously we talk about who the most immediate challenger for the title is going to be but I imagine if funder rosa win it she holds it for a while they give their champions long reigns and if you give champions long reigns it's less likely that other people are going to win it at some point I just assume that Statler is going to be in there for a couple of years and she'll get her shot. Yeah, I was imagining that they'll sign other women at that point as well. People will fit. Like, like they signed one tonight. So so I, I, don't, I don't like to put any sort of certainty on it. Do I think that she could and almost a, that she could be a women's title champion in the future? Absolutely. But I don't like to put any sort of like stamp of certainty on it. So Michael Patrick in the chat brings up something. He says that Baker should join the elite. You think that they should take that direction with her character or keep her separate? Keep her separate. She's over. She's super over as she is. Don't try and conflate it with this elite storyline just because she is dating Adam Cole. She's gone over on her own merits. I don't think there's any need to conflate it with the two of them. They don't need to have a like a women's team. I think that she's developing a faction on her own. So. I'd like to see a 50-50 scenario where, like, they acknowledge it and she's kind of, like, an ally in a different circle, kind of. Like, not that every time that the Elite comes out, she's there, too. But she's doing her own thing. Cole and the rest of them are doing their own thing. And then maybe just once in a while, they do some kind of a little thing where it's just like, oh, you know, backstage, they transition from one promo to another. and they kind of acknowledge it. You know, if they ever run into a problem where it's like orange Cassidy and them with Statlander are in the way of the elite. Well, you know, Baker can back them up for, uh, you know, balancing out the women kind of a thing. I'd like to see that. So it's kind of like, uh, having your cake and eating it too. Peyton thinks that the title is going to be hot potatoed sooner or later. Could happen too. You never know. Yeah. I mean, the first it, I mean, they champion they popped in over from Riho, and then uh, Nyla Rose, and then Ishida holds it for a long time. So, yeah, I was just saying they don't, they don't, they've not historically done that with championships. So I don't know if there's a, there's any real inclination that they would do that. 
I think it's more likely that they might get women's tag titles at some point. And that could be something that other women can hold if they're not going to be positioned to win the ti- the main title straight away. Would you rather see women's tag titles or a trio's tag title get introduced first? Um, I think they're more set up for the trio's title right now. So I would imagine I would say that's the that's the one they should go with first. I would predict that more. I don't know if I'd personally choose that over the women's tag titles. I don't know. You don't want to overload too many titles, too. That's the other thing. You start getting into having 15 championships on the brand, and then suddenly everybody's a champion, and then some of the championships don't work as well. But then again, AEW hasn't established any kind of problem with that like WWE has, so give them a little bit of a benefit of the doubt, too, you know? Well, I don't think it's problematic if it's like it's a title that has a separate purpose to it. So they've got a world, a men's world title, they've got a women's world title, they've got a men's tag team championships, and they've got a a secondary championship. I know they've got like the FTW thing, but no one really that's not recognised as an actual like yeah, official title. That needs to go so, away. So if you have something that they've got plenty of trios, so they could easily put in a a trios title. And they've got a lot of women. They haven't actually gone to the point of establishing real tag teams yet beyond, obviously, Anna Jay and Ty Conchi. And they've got a signing in the works right now between the Bunny and Penelope Ford. Right. And they can probably... like, maybe do something with Nyla Rose and Jade Cargill if they do that whole, like, we're fighting against each other, yeah. but we also are on, cut from the same cloth kind of deal, you know? Yeah, and also on Dark, they've established that uh, there's a... A kind of a trio tag team between uh, Killing King, Red Velvet, and Big Swole. Yeah, that's true. So, so, so there is like there there is room for that. So they've have they they have the groundwork there. I just don't think they're quite ready yet. And then it's just a case once once they have those two titles, I think you you're done at that point. You don't need any further championships. They just serve different purposes to the ones you currently have. I'm totally fine. That's the issue that I have with WWE's title is not the fact that like they have loads of them. It's the case that like what re- what's really different between the United States title and the world title, or what's really uh, distinguishes the twenty four seven title from the United States title. Which obviously it's the case of like oh, oh this one does get defended all the time. What one gets defended all the time, but what's the actual value of holding that over the other title? Yeah, and. Uh... You know, you don't want to overload anything, but at the same time, if your roster keeps expanding like AEW does, uh, then, you know, you find a way. They'll find a way. It'll happen sooner or later. Yeah. Following this, Andrade had a little bit of an interview just to basically remind everybody that, you know, this thing with PAX is not over with because it didn't happen tonight. It's going to happen on, uh, was it Dynamite or is it Rampage? I'm it's going to be Rampage. This Friday's Rampage. Okay. I thought it might have been Rampage, but I wasn't too sure. Um, so stay tuned for that, of course. And then that switched us over into what the Lucha Bros were actually going to be doing. The Steel Cage match for the AEW World Tag Team Championship against the Young Bucks, which was fantastic. Yep. Yeah, I'd, I'd say easily match of the night. I yeah, they, easily. As soon as they came out and had that cool, they had the obviously musical performance entrance and they had this incredibly cool attire and like this pyro show and everything like that i just thought yep yeah, they're winning the tag titles tonight i still thought that they weren't to be honest i was still just like okay they're getting a cool entrance but it's gonna end up being young bucks 
and then Nick Jackson came out with his beard dyed. And that's just like, <laughs> they're so good at being douches. They really they're are. So, they're so good at making everything about them so unbelievably hateable. Um, yeah, this is better, I think, for the Young Bucks than just being, hey, those are the indie guys that do a lot of super kicks and aren't they fun? It's kind of it's kind of impossible this type of match to kind of list spot after spot, but the 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 thing that you kind of need to know is that they did an excellent job of working the crowd into thinking the Bucks were going to win pretty comprehensively. They brought in a loaded boot. Oh, the boot, boot or the the sneaker with yeah. the uh, thumbtacks. That's something new, and you know I thought that that was going to be the end. I figured well, we'll get like one kick from that, and that'll be the end of it, or something. And then that'll be like a good like ten minutes after that. Or so. Yeah, well, well, they kicked him down, and then they hit the um, they hit the uh, BT trigger on Pentagon, and then you just like the crowd when Phoenix broke up that pin at the very last second, the crowd went. I've never heard the crowd go so crazy for a near fall. Ted in the chat just said the same thing when Ray Phoenix broke up that pin. I knew Bros were going to finally win the tag titles. <laughs> Because the crowd went, the crowd went insane for that moment. Because they just thought, "That's got to be thought, it." Oh my, yeah, because it just felt, yeah, because they felt that, oh my god, the Bucks had beaten them so comprehensively here at this point. And then it seemed like it was really at the last second that Phoenix even moved to break up the pin mm-hmm. to the point where I thought he was going to miss it. Me too. And it was, and so when they did break up, the crowd just went crazy and just thought, "Oh my god, there's still a chance." And yeah, they did the cool spots of like making them bleed ripping the mask apart, all the like heel shenanigans. One of my favorite parts of the match is actually something that happened outside of the match itself, which is when uh, uh, Tony uh, Shivani kept calling uh, Don Callis a piece of shit on commentary. <laughs> like, legitimately just saying, you fucking piece of shit. And that's... <laughs> I liked all, so much of this point. match. Like, even just, like, the way that Phoenix bounced off the ropes and then bounced off the cage. Like, that was mm. cool. I like the low blow in front of the referee where uh, Jackson's just like, ha like it's fucking legal, you know, that kind of deal. Good uh, stuff whenever you see like the more bang for your buck and Penta's uh, Canadian Destroyer. Yeah, it's very cool when you can do it right from the top right. The splash from the top of the cage from Phoenix. Yep, yeah, that was, yeah. Super cool moment as well. You just get the, the the really excellent aerial shot of him just coming down. He seemed to be falling for seconds. It felt like obviously it was just a matter of seconds. But like I assume it was like only a couple of seconds that he was in the air and then down towards him. But it just felt like he was hanging there for a while. I always liked the uh, or always. I also liked the series of super kicks. Like the Mexican standoff kind of deal, where it's just one after another, after another, after another, going in like a circle. Thought that was great. Yeah, it was, it was a really like emotionally fueled match. The crowd was super behind the Lucha Bros. They were desperate for them to win. So once they did hit the assisted pile driver, got the pin. Crowd popped huge for it. I was shocked. I didn't see it coming. I really thought that the Young Bucks were going to retain here and. I don't know who would have necessarily beat them down the line, but I had had uh, Santana and Ortiz as my next champions. Uh, you know, you go with uh, the Lucha Bros, people aren't going to be upset about it. It's not a bad uh, decision to make whatsoever. And obviously the match was fantastic. So I don't know where they go from here. And I had written up something on the uh, Bleach Report article of like, well, they've kind of done everything. 
but I don't think people are going to necessarily complain if we get another rematch, that's for sure. No, I, I think there is a, there's a real possibility Young Bucks win the titles back in the next couple of weeks or months. And then we get move on to the Santana Ortiz thing, because I don't see anyone on the heel side that's super primed yet. But then again, the thing about the Lucha Bros is they have like very often transition between face and heel in AEW. They're kind of like the consistent tweeners the Death Triangle is, so... So I don't I don't think it's out of the question that they lose the titles to like Santana Ortiz or FTR or hey, yeah, another like a uh, heel team other than because I was thinking FTR too and then I was like well I don't know I mean FTR already had the tag titles so maybe they don't just go back to that but but I'd say well FTR is probably like the standout one on the heel side then the Bucks obviously of course but obviously if you don't want to go back to them immediately. Then I'd say probably next up would be Gallows and Anderson. If you want to have them win the titles instead, you could go with yeah, the true. acclaimed. The acclaimed is probably the next highest up on the heel side of things now that they're back together and back in the company. Hmm. Something to pay attention to. A grim shot in the chat. Super chat. He jumped from the top. Jumped. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it didn't just fall. That's right. Jumped from the top of the cage. Style. Like... It, Nope, not doing it. Not doing any of these things. I had said when we were watching it, but I was watching this with a bunch of people that haven't really been watching anything for a while. Like, uh, you know, kind of in and out of WWE, never really paid super duper much attention to AEW, but still, you know, kind of, they knew some of these things, but then some other people didn't know a damn thing, you know, so it was a wide range of stuff, but easily this was the match that everybody was just going nuts over and, the thumbtack shoe was a big highlight of just like, oh, fuck, they're really going to like start kicking each other with the, the shoe with the thumbtacks on it and everything. If you're going to show anybody that's like an outsider any match on this card, I think it would be this one. Oh, yeah, it was absolutely great. But and I was to say that the cage did its job realistically, because even though Cutler was able to throw that shoe into the ring, it kept the elite out and allowed the Lucha Bros to win. So who throws a shoe? Honestly. <laughs> <laughs> check out the uh, Austin Powers fan tracks we recorded them the other day they're up on uh, fanboysanonymous.com they're on the preview uh, kind of thing right now Like yeah. they'll they'll premiere over the course of the next couple weeks but um, Michael Patrick in the chat says my wife is an extremely casual fan and she was glued to this match yep that's the case so that switched over to the 21 woman casino battle royale the clubs started it off. Sheeta Sky Blue, who was replacing Julia Hart. No, uh, she wasn't. Well, Julia Hart was taken out of the match and Sky Blue was put in there. Um It was a case like, well, she well, I, I guess that was that was the argument really. Yeah. I I, I kind of felt like it was a case of because when I heard that Sky Blue was in the match, it was before Dark was recorded. Because uh, Dark had been, uh, so what I meant to say is Dark had been recorded beforehand. Didn't air, yeah. Yeah, didn't air at that point, and then they revealed it on that bit. So they basically, I knew that at that point there were 21 names, right. including Julia Hart. And then but they then, did a whole thing where it's like Hart got attacked and yeah. that kind of deal. So yeah, Sky so. Blue replaces her, uh, which is a shame for, uh, for Julia Hart. But yeah, if she's a Chicago girl, I can understand why they put her in there. 
and, and Julia Hart was not going to win, and it means that she can yeah. immediately bounce into a feud where she can go against, will probably end up losing to either Nyla Rose or Jade Cargill. So we had those two. We had Emi Sakura, we had the Bunny, and we had Abaddon. Uh, some eliminations happen here and there. We're not going to go each uh, emula- uh, elimination or anything. Diamonds were Anna Jay, Kira Hogan, Kylan King, Diamante, and Nyla Rose. Eventually, we get to Hearts, which were Thunder Rosa, Penelope Ford, Riho, Jamie Hayter, and Big Swole. And the Spades round things out with Tycon Chi, Red Velvet, Layla Hirsch, Jade Cargill, and Rebel. Eventually, that leads us to the final participant, the Joker card, which in the past has pretty much always been some kind of a surprise. And this time around, it's a surprise, and it's not. It is something where... We all knew this was going to be what was going to happen. We've known for a while. But if you don't pay attention to dirt sheets, you don't pay attention to who gets released from companies and all the other things that people in our headspace do, then it was just purely a shock, I'm sure. But for everybody else, we were like, okay, Ruby Riot's going to pop up and she's going to be named Ruby Soho. And look at that. Joker is Ruby Soho, as expected. But that doesn't take away from it. And this is a match that I'm pretty much always going to have the same reaction to. I like battle royals and I like Royal Rumble matches and I like anything that's like this. So even when they're a little bit messy, I still tend to enjoy them quite a bit because it's just a lot of people. It's fun to watch people get eliminated. You get some good spots with like, uh, you know, somebody gets tossed out and everybody boos. So then that person gets tossed out and everybody cheers. It's basic. And Payton had brought up uh, the first two thirds of the match had major divas battle royal vibes. There were definitely some spots where it was just like, "Wow, that's really bad that you're you're, you're like uh, climbing over the top rope and you're gonna fall like that." It's uh, it's par for the course, but I enjoyed this. Yeah, I thought it was fun, even though it was, I think, pretty sloppy for the most part, and there were cases where. I mean, something that I've enjoyed about previous casino battle royals is it always felt like all people would get something to do or at least showcase a little bit, where it kind of felt like about like at least half a dozen or so the women in this match just came into the ring and then were eliminated like seconds later. Yeah, like, Sky Blue was out pretty quick. Kira Hogan did like nothing. Yeah, Kira, Kira Hogan did nothing. Killing King did nothing. Yep. Uh... Uh, Blue did nothing beyond just like posing to the crowd and then getting easily eliminated by Abaddon, who then was also immediately eliminated. Swole didn't really do too much. She did get eliminated. She eliminated um, uh, Diamante, but then was immediately eliminated herself. Uh, Riho was weird because I didn't even think that she got eliminated. She got eliminated by. I know she got eliminated oh, by. Yeah. Wait, she got eliminated by Hater, but the crowd talks about the fact that like, she was she went under the ring, and then they announced that she was eliminated. Yeah, I didn't even write down that she had gotten eliminated. Yeah, so that so, must have happened when it was like a, some you know, kind of weird cause, situation. Because I saw Hater looking at the referees and saying, no, she's not eliminated, but then she never got back in the ring. Huh. So I was super confused about that, because obviously they don't do the old diva style in yeah. WWE Battle Royale where you can get eliminated for any means and stuff like that like for any part of the ring but yeah so it was, it was odd that she got eliminated 
was basically non-existent there as well. Uh, Red Velvet is not liked by the crowd now. Like, basically, from that, from whatever was happening with the Britt Baker thing, she gets booed significantly now. Yeah, it was a mistake. I don't think that they should have done that. They set Red Velvet up as the one who's going to get booed against Britt Baker in Pittsburgh. And I don't know. I mean, she had just had a whole thing with Nyla Rose. You could have gone with another heel, and it would have made perfect sense. Kind of sacrificed Red Velvet there, and she's got to, I guess, probably turn heel down the line now. Yeah, I'd say so. That's probably the um, the next course of action. I think the match really started to go well when it was down to like a few people left. When Ruby got into the ring, uh, Cargill immediately eliminated like Kate Velvet. Velvet, she got eliminated by Nyla Rose. But the more interesting thing was like that it started like this two side stories thing where it was Thunder uh, Rosa and uh, Ruby Soho taking down Nyla Rose, trying to take down the like giant Redwood. And then basically from the moment that Ty Conchi got into the match, she was just attacking Penelope Ford and the Bunny. <laughs> Because obviously that was like building up from the Anna J thing from earlier. And so pretty much for the entire, once uh, Anna J and the Bunny were both eliminated, it was pretty much her just attacking Penelope Ford for the rest of the match. Yeah. And they did a nice little sequence, but then Tycon, she eliminates her, and then she's immediately eliminated. By Rose. And then when it's down... Oh yeah, by Rose, yeah. And then it, when it was down to the final three, like it was obvious that Ruby was going to win. Right, yeah. And that was the whole, like, alright, the two of them were going to end up getting down uh, to you know, Soho and Rosa. And it plays out that way. And um yeah. and that was the best part of the point of the entire match was those two going out after each other. It was awkward with the apron stuff though, and here's where I can uh talk about the people that were around here that hadn't really been watching wrestling or hadn't been, you know, super deep into it or whatever. A lot of people were like, wow, this is very dramatic and very like silly because it's like the slow, like, well, I'm going to fall kind of thing. And it, it, it's admittedly, it's, it's pretty silly sometimes. Everybody was just sort of like, why don't you just kick her? Like, why don't you just do this? Why don't you do that? It's a scenario that we've seen play out a million times. So it's not something I'm going to nitpick, but I can see how somebody who isn't as deep into pro wrestling would be just like, okay, this is ridiculous. Why doesn't one of them just like kick the other one and knock her the fuck out? You know? I, I guess so. There needs to be some sort of level of suspension disbelief though. Yeah. Cause like, do people like shout about all this stuff? Like, why don't you do this stuff? when like, there's movie fights and stuff like that. Oh, I'm sure <laughs> that would be the case. Dad in the chat had also said Jade Cargill with a George Washington wig. Am I right guy? <laughs> The uh, some of the people that were watching with they were like, okay, um, what's up with Storm? Is Storm doing this? Like, they didn't know her name, so they're calling her Storm. But uh, mm. Ruby Soho wins this, and she's going to be the next challenger for Doctor Britt Baker. I am fully expecting Baker will retain. Yep, absolutely. And that's so, not going to be like that. Doesn't kill Ruby Rye or Ruby Soho. It doesn't mean she's buried. I don't want to hear any of that kind of nonsense. Plenty of people can lose a match once in a while, you know? Just getting the title match first, like, immediately into the company. Right. But you know that people do that. You know that people are like, you know, this person lost a match and they're buried forever. Yeah, but then there's also that type of people that say, oh, she just got signed for WWE and she's getting a title match. Is this TNA or whatever again? It's like... Yeah. (laughs) They don't actually... This is what... Maybe one... I don't know if this is the first or, like, 
the first time they've actually ever done this in the Battle Royal of giving the person the toll shot because they didn't do it with Christian. Yeah, Christian and, lost it to uh, Jungle Boy. Yeah, and didn't do it in Matt Sydal. He was the surprise one that year? Or that, that time? He was a joker, I believe. No, I didn't, th- I didn't think that he was. I thought that he, he came out before the Joker spot, right? No, he came out as a Joker because he, cause, like, he got the special entrance and then he did the slip. They botched. <laughs> it was awful. Yeah. And then I think the one before that might have been, like, I think the last time they did it where they brought someone in the first time and then they had them immediately win something was Brian Cage. Cage was the uh, casino ladder match, right? Yeah. Uh, was he the casino ladder match? Yeah, so, yeah, he was. Yeah. yeah. And. The difference with that is the fact that he's he's never worked for WWE. So, yeah, I mean that's a completely different story when it comes to that. Yeah, the very so, first. So this... uh, I'm seeing. I'm looking up right now. Double or Nothing 2019. The Joker was Adam Page, and he won. Yeah, but he was already part of the company, so that's not that kind of deal. Yeah. So that so, yeah, it's like I'm I'm totally fine with them doing that thing with it, especially with someone like Ruby Soho who is. Oh, a well-known name for people that watch WWE, but isn't super well-known, like from a wider perspective. It's not like she's like a um, if it was like Becky Lynch or Bailey had signed for AEW, she was like a lower t- a, a mid-tier women's wrestler for WWE. So if you want to elevate her, you need to give her a big win straight off the bat. And then um, yeah, Matt Sydal, you were right. He was the Joker for that one. That was Lance Archer one. Leo Rush was the Joker, and then mm. as uh, Ted says, you know, Leo Rush shows up, retires the next day, so he doesn't really count in that kind of fashion. And uh, Mercedes Martinez was a Joker for the uh, All Out in 2019. She didn't win that mm-hmm. match. That was uh, Nyla Rose. So I think that this is the right call. Uh, she is somebody who is a big enough name that she can fight Baker, and plenty of people are going to go into that thinking that she's going to beat Baker. So when Baker wins... Then it's going to be like, ah, man, the, you know, the heel one. Grr. That <laughs> kind of deal. <laughs> Jeremy says, not going to lie, I love uh, Britt Baker's theme song. It's catchy, that's for sure. Switch it over to Chris Jericho versus MJF, the final fight. How good was it that you see a countdown and then it switches over to Jericho's last match and it's MJF? <laughs> oh, it's, yeah, he is. He just takes every single heel tactic and turns out to 11. He's so good. A uh, little bit of an awkward entrance for Jericho, though. Yeah, the guitarist wasn't a great pick. The crowd didn't even know that they really should start singing along until about halfway through. Yeah, and so. then the tune of the guitar started to really kind of uh, interrupt their singing. Yeah, <laughs> that's not I, the best it might one. Have just been be- I, I thought, oh, he might as well just come out a cappella again. Yeah, why not, right? Because that worked. That worked swimmingly. But this was a fun match. This is one of my favorite matches of the night. MJF just having a fucking ball with so many things. Like, yeah, he's like uh, thrusting in the match here and there to get some heat and ripping up some signs. And a couple notes that I wrote down here and there, like the, the power bomb on the apron. Oof. Ouch. Yeah. Well, that was the um, turning point of the entire match. And that was the thing that really set up the finish for the whole thing. So, oh, yeah, storytelling. And that was following the um, the heat seeker pole driver to Jericho on the apron, and MJF like ordering the count because he'll take a count out win over Jericho. 
Were you thinking at any point that any of these countouts throughout the night were going to be an actual countout? Because I no. kept joking. I was just kind of like, that'd be funny if this just actually <laughs> ended up happening. But Aubrey... No, I don't do that very often. Aubrey seemed like she was getting worried that Jericho wasn't going to be able to make it in time. The way that she said eight really seemed like she was like, eight? <laughs> like, come on, Chris. Like, can you fucking hear me? That kind of deal. Mm. <laughs> that says MJF yelling at the fat guy in the crowd during his entrance. That guy didn't want any of MJF. <laughs> and Peyton says Jericho saw Rick Boogs and uh, wanted his own fancy rock entrance. The Rick Boogs yeah. thing, it's getting over. That's for sure. Yeah. It's just fun to say Boogs, at the very least. Uh, Patrick bringing up the uh, Flair gear. Yeah. Very Rick Flair inspired from MJF tonight. And it's the- more like Royal Rhymes, wasn't it? The robe was great too. Loved the robe. Mm. Oh yeah, because he was doing the uh, yeah. He obviously did the um, the Fargo strut as well at some point. So, so uh, we get Wardlow coming out. Jake Hager intercepts him. Uh, MJF is able to hit Jericho in the head with Floyd the bat. And since Aubrey's distracted, and she doesn't also notice that Jericho's got his leg up on the ropes, and his foot's there, pretty much right on time. But the pinfall gets counted for MJF, and that is a great moment of people just mm. being like, oh, wait, fuck, oh my god, what happened? That kind of thing. I love when they can pull something off like this. Yeah, it was a nice little touch that added the drama to the match as well, because I assume a lot of people went into this thinking that there's no way Jericho's going to lose and mm-hmm. be out of it now. And so when they did that, people just the, cra- the crowd just got super deflated. It's like, oh my god. Especially because the fact that they'd seen him put his foot on the ropes, so they knew that he'd screwed out of it. So it was almost that case of like, I'm mean, part of you would be thinking, oh my god, they, they must do a restart, but they they held it for long enough to the point where you just felt, oh my god, they're actually going to end it, and maybe maybe he gets a rematch down the line or something like that. But people were just super upset, and then the other referee comes down, tells tells Aubrey that. Uh, he had his foot on the ropes at the right time, and so they restart the match, and everyone's excited again. So yeah, it was a really good moment. Yeah, I loved that. I loved that when you get the referee to come out, people start having that just like, oh, thank God, kind of moment. Because that's you want that rush, you know. You're watching pro wrestling for the like the action in the ring. You're watching it for the storytelling, and that switch from oh crap, oh no, the the guy I didn't want uh, to retire is going to have to retire, and it was a screw job, and boom, whatever. And then the surprise of, you know, the, the referee comes and saves the day kind of deal. That's what you're watching for. And I liked that they followed that up too with a roll-up that didn't end up being the end of the match. Because that happens way too often in pro wrestling. But you give it a couple more minutes, and eventually uh, Jericho locks in the walls Jericho, Looked like he was going to go for the knee kind of lion tamer and then couldn't do it. I don't know why. I guess maybe yeah, he was like too, a little too beaten up for it or something. Yeah, I think he might have just lost his footing while attempting to go for it and so decided just to just sit back further. Instead. Yeah. And MJF taps out. Jericho's career is still sticking around for a little while longer. Yep. And the circle will come in and start surround him afterwards. Yeah, I thought this was a... It was a solid match. I wouldn't say it was like super great, but it was is what it needed to be. And yeah, I, I don't think MJF gets uh, is hurt at all by losing here. They they 
built it up well by having him take that back injury. And so, of course, he would end up losing to the Wolves of Jericho. And yeah, so I feel Jericho sticks around for longer and that's probably the right decision. He There's plenty of things that he can still be doing right now. MJF can move on to another program after this. So yeah, it'll be interesting to see where both of them go from this point. <laughs> Beta says, thank fuck Jericho won't be stuck doing commentary. Best moment of the night. <laughs> mm. oh, he'll still be doing the commentary. He probably still will be. He would just be like, oh, yeah, that's my thing. You know? <laughs> Next match after that was CM Punk versus Darby Allen. And here's where people are going to go, oh, come on, Tony, what the hell? To be perfectly honest, I thought that this was underwhelming. And it's not the worst match of the night. It's not the worst match of the year or anything like that. So I don't want to hear people bitching that it needs to be one extreme or the other. I just thought that this was a very slow start. And if the last couple minutes, like last three minutes of this match would have been longer, then I would have been enjoying this the way that a lot of other people are. But I also think that a lot of people are convincing themselves that this was better than what it was. I think if you take exactly the same match and you put two other people in there, or even just one other person, if it's Sam, somebody else other than CM Punk, I think that people would be like, oh, this was nothing. This is whatever. I didn't enjoy the beginning of this match. I thought that this was ridiculous. The people were chanting, you've still got it. And it was like three moves have happened and they weren't even super great. It doesn't change the fact that it's fantastic that CM Punk is back. Doesn't change the fact that I'm still excited to see CM Punk against a lot of other people. But you give me a bunch of rest holds, I'm going to be thinking, when is this going to get good? And it just took too long. Got better, but it took too long. Yeah, I it's, it's, again, it's not the be- it's not the best match of the night, but I thought it was really good still. I think for someone who hasn't done this for seven years, I think this is better than what I could have actually expected. I don't think it was going to be... I, I never thought it was going to be, like, super, super awesome, because Punk, at the end of the day, was never... I know, he's obviously, his line is the best in the world, but he, I've never considered him to be, like, someone who consistently delivered match of the year candidates. The only one they re- really delivered on is, like, the... um Cena one? The, uh, the Cena one, yeah. But... He obviously got a great response. The crowd was super behind him. Darby was still getting cheered as well, so that was good to see as well. But I then was there surprised. was some cool. Uh, no, I wasn't particularly because people like Darby. It's not John Cena. People hate John Cena regardless of it. People would boo John Cena regardless of it being involved in that. I think um, Darby's someone that the crowd actually like is enamored with. So I just figured to... Punk being back. They're in Chicago. Like how many people are really going to be cheering for Darby Allen, but there was a solid let's go Darby CM Punk kind of duel. Yeah. He's super popular. He's on the most popular acts on the entire, in the entire company. So I don't feel like that was, that was super surprising that uh, people were cheering for him. Um, they did some cool spots where you had the hammer throw Irish whip sending through the middle rope into the oh, ring post. Yeah. That was Darby. my favorite part. <laughs> um, it was wrestling like pretty simple. Like he was doing like more of a heel role, putting on rest holds, like stomping him around type thing, getting a few moves every now and again, like took a backbreaker and just regular backdrops and stuff like that. But I felt like that was, that's part of the story. I felt was the idea that punk is rusty. He's going back to basics because he needs to start from the ground up essentially. 
And so that, that that's why he's a bit more slower and a bit more deliberate in what he was doing. And then Alan takes over a flurry of offense. And so once he starts to pick up the pace of the match, tries to wrestle his style, because that means that he's not letting Punk dictate it. Punk has to then step up and move a bit quicker as well. And that's when he starts doing things like the um the like flipping heel kick and stuff like that and the running knee and it's all this other stuff. And there's cool moments like hitting the uh, swan on dive to, to punk on the floor, uh, hitting the GTS, but uh, like Darby falling out of the ring, uh, blocking a poison runner attempt, him sitting up to avoid the coffin drop was a really cool spot. Like I that. Yeah, that was good. He was just sort of like, why wouldn't I just sit up? Like, yeah. And I think that again, they positioned this match on the card really well as well, because, because they didn't make it the main event, it put that little shred of doubt in, well, in, I, I imagine a lot of people's minds that Darby Allen might actually win this match. And it's like, okay, Punk realizes that he's off a step right now. D- Darby gets a big win over a, a legend, and Punk has to like build himself up from here. But they decided, no, Punk's going to win because it is in Chicago, and they want to set him up strong. And so he, after a couple of near falls, he reverses the Poison Runner attempt, hits the GTS for a second time. Gets the victory, shakes hands with both of them at the end of it, so he's still babyface. Even though they did that little cool spot at the end as well, where Punk walks up the ramp and then he teases going yeah. into the heel one because he doesn't really know. He's like saying, "What's the difference between two of them?" And then the crowd says, "No, go in that one." And I feel that's another cool moment it's where people know which side is the babyface tunnel and which side is the heel tunnel. Right? Yeah. <laughs> like people just people just love this company and they're just super invested in everything about it. Fun moments like that are really like that little moment doesn't make or break a card or make a show infinitely better but it goes to show just the morale and when you've got like AEW people can have fun with those things and it's not going to be something that's like that takes you out of it ah it's the heel one because they're all baby faces and heels and it's villains and it's scripted and whatever but then it's like not to rag on WWE but how often do we get something fun like that in WWE? Uh, it's not really a word that appears in their vocabulary that much. It's all very, um, again, it's not saying it's strictly bad, but it's all very sanitized. Homogenous. And just, mm. you know, if there is something that's slightly different, a lot of the times it kind of falls flat. Like that whole thing with Vince McMahon popping up and talking about the Triple H and Shawn Michaels and whatever. That was like, oh, wow, something different's happening. And nobody brings it up. You know? It seems embarrassing sometimes when some of those things happen more than anything else. But I like yeah, that. Got- and I liked other moments, like, you know, throughout there, here and there. I just thought that this match was the type of thing where I'm like, I don't want to hear people talking about this being match of the year. It's not. No, I, I think the, the people that are saying the match of the year is like going, would be going way, way, way overboard. But I don't. I don't think people should be grudged for saying this was a good match. I'd still put it. I'd put it on at least from my perspective. I'd put it on a parallel of like the um, Moxley Kojima match, or the Kingston Miro match, or actually to be, to be fair, I'd almost put it on the same level as like the uh, Jericho and MJF one as well. The MJF one I think is slightly better, but I don't think it's demonstrably different. I'd put it towards the lower end. Um, yeah, wasn't my thing. It was better though, at least overall. The segment 
than Paul White versus QT Marshall, which I have nothing to say mm. about. Yeah, I got I got slightly. Uh, as I think I was saying in the uh, in our little like private chat with me, you and Rob, I was saying that uh, I'm actually almost annoyed that this match is now taking place because this show's been pretty much. There's not been a bad match really on this entire show, and not that this was bad because you can't really get super bad in like three minutes of action, but. Yeah, it just was completely pointless to be there. And honestly, it didn't, even even though I said, like, it can't be that bad because it's three minutes, it wasn't good. Like, there wasn't anything to it. It was yeah, like, it was well, basically a beatdown segment almost. And yeah, well, the, the, the point of it where I got like to where I was thinking, oh, I'm a little bit worried about if they actually do anything further with Paul White was the moment where he tried to kick out of that the cover by QT Marshall and then it's meant to be the spot where he, oh, he powers out and sends QT out of the ring. He barely moved his arms and QT went flying. He just went, oh, okay, he's, he's that kind of legend. So he's like, obviously he's a big name. And so they want to use him and get some value out of it, but he's not going to be someone who can, who like Christian, who comes back after a long absence and is like working hard and never, it feels like he's going to be the guy who is, limited in what he can do and that's why he has these three minute segments and i think the idea that now people might have suggested that oh this is all to build up nick comorado and <laughs> just that nick comorado got his ass kicked as well in this in this match basically the entire factory did so now i'm just assuming that he white is going to have a couple of matches either on dark or dynamite in the next couple of weeks where he beats Aaron Solo and then beats Nick Comorado and then moves on to whatever's next. Yeah, I wasn't buying into the uh this is all setting up Nick kind of thing. Sorry Nick. No. But uh <laughs> it just didn't seem like that was the case for me because Nick hasn't been positioned as the same as like Wardlow. Like they they're using him. And mm. yeah, I mean credit to Nick, like uh it was funny because it's like, again, a lot of people watching it over uh, in the basement and people are just kind of like, I'm here like in some ways to see Nick because he's, you know, like uh, part of the circle kind of thing, you know, like the amount of times that he's been at the same parties, et cetera, et cetera. But uh, somebody, I forget who it was, sorry, uh, was asking, they were like, oh shit, like, Nick is, like, doing something and doing, like, these big things, and he looks like uh, this big, scary caveman. How many matches has he won? And I was like, you know what? I don't remember Nick winning any matches on Dynamite at the very least, let alone, obviously, like, he hasn't been a part of any pay-per-view things, but they're not treating him like he is the same kind of thing as, like, Brian Cage, Lance Archer, etc. He's looking better but he's still getting beaten down the same way like Solo is in this kind of an environment. Yeah. I don't feel like they're positioning to him to be anything super special right now. Again, it might be somebody they build up in the long-term future, but that would be something that I think would start unraveling itself in two, three years' time. I think for the time being, he's just going to be a guy who's an understudy to QT Marshall, the more likely thing that's probably going to happen is that he's going to get sick of being beaten down by people like Paul White and having to fight QT's battles for him and stuff like that and be involved with the guy who just constantly loses. And so his first real feud will probably be against QT Marshall. I can definitely see that being the case. 
where he just and he should win that flips one. out and attacks him and that kind of deal, yeah. Yeah, and he should win that one. Because at the end of the day, QT really doesn't need to be getting anything at this point. Yeah, I agree. But yeah, nothing really happened here. Um, Michael Patrick in the chat says, Best moment of the night for me was when I remembered that I paused it during the cage match, so I got to skip ahead past the entire Paul White QT match. <laughs> oh, but yeah, that, that was a good decision. And then we went to our main event, the AEW World Championship match, Kenny Omega against Christian Cage. Solid match. Not too much for me to talk about specifics, but I enjoyed it. Yeah, it was a, it was a strong match. I don't feel like it had the same. It had quite. It didn't have quite the same energy as their match at Rampage, which I was a little bit disappointed about because I felt like they would step it up a little bit more. But they did do some cool stuff in this. Like the the table spot was nice. Uh, just having like a nice little spear through that, as well as doing the um foot stomp through the the table that was set up on Christian. Uh, some nice little spears in the ring as well. Doing a spear to the back before spear to the the ribs. Uh, having uh Gallows and Anderson get involved, but they have that backfire, get the near fall, and they're prettier. And then hitting the um one winged angel from the the, from the ropes, yeah, yeah. So doing the avalanche one instead, and that's like I I've seen him do that before, so it's not like it's it's out of the question, but see Christian like take that move was a little bit uh well that's a little bit crazy. But yeah, it was a um a really good match, really solid between the two of them. The right person won, as everyone expected them to. But at the end of the day, regardless of how good that match was, unless it was gonna be like a match of the year contender, nobody would have been talking about that after what happened in the post match. Yeah, that's not the big takeaway here. It's not uh it's not something that it devalues. Like, what com- happens afterward doesn't devalue what happened beforehand. But even somebody who's not, like, uh, expecting some kind of big surprise, the way that this was set up was very much like, all right, we got that out of the way, and now we're going to get to the big thing, kind of. <laughs> Which ends up being, you know, some trash talking after the match. The Elite beats down Christian. Jurassic Express tries to help out, but they can't compete with the numbers game and omega says that the only people who could ever beat him for the title are either not in the company they're already retired or they're dead which is great and that brings out adam cole and a lot of people are probably thinking wait what i thought that brian danielson was coming out what the hell blah 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 this is pretty cool that kind of deal I'm immediately thinking, and I'm sure a lot of other people are thinking as well, all right, he's going to hug it out. <laughs> like This is going to be yeah. one of those kind of deals. It's a swerve. And I was very happy to see that that was the case, where he super kicks Jungle Boy, hugs it out with the Elite. It's just kind of like, all right, well, haha, fuckers. Like, we, you expected some kind of thing. We got you, that kind of deal. And then, of course, the music hits. And we get a weird switch over with the music where I was not expecting, but nevertheless, it's Brian Danielson who looks super happy, of course. Mm-hmm. And uh, he yeah. helps the baby faces fight it all out. Yeah, that it was a cool like moment at the end of it where you you get the four on four stare off between the young Bucks, Kenny Omega and Adam Cole against uh Jurassic Express, Christian, and Daniel Bro- uh, Brian Danielson. Now we have to officially say Brian Danielson all the time. 
uh yeah and then just then just beating each other up uh brian just going straight for um uh nick jackson and then just hit him repeatedly kicks in the corner and hitting the running knee and yeah it's it was an awesome moment i know there's, there's there is a school of four and they're probably may have made smarter business sense to stretch out some of these appearances but to get a moment like that it's like it's a very rare opportunity where you can have like two two major stars in the world of wrestling appear in one time and kick off a essentially a, a new like gang war type situation where oh we've got a new person part of the elite and it makes perfect sense because he's got history there as well and then you've got this new guy that's coming in as well and he's going to be standing up to those ones and helping out the good guys yeah it's it's a rare rare moment you can have that happen so if you can do it then why not so i'm i was super pleased with how all this went down i thought this was perfect mm. because if it would have just been daniel bryan he would have been i'm gonna be used to calling him daniel bryan by the way for everybody who's like he's brian danielson now uh, relax just like i'm gonna call him big show it's just one of those things. But uh, if that would have been the, you know, Kenny Mega says nobody can beat him, and then Brian Danielson comes out, that still would have been fantastic. You know, that's it's not going to take anything away from that. But switching over with the Adam Cole thing first, not only do you get double the amount of the surprise, but you got a new heel in the mix. Mm-hmm. And Cole is going to be so much better off in AEW than what would have happened if he would have stuck in WWE. As much as I do still always kind of want everything to be under the same roof, WWE has not been keeping good morale lately, and they have a bad track record when it comes to taking somebody from NXT and not utilizing them the right way on the main roster. So if you are told, be in the opposite company from your girlfriend and a lot of your friends, even though he still has a lot of friends in WWE too, but you know, and will probably not use you for more than like an intercontinental championship and maybe not even that because it didn't happen for like tyler breeze what's the likelihood that you really want to sign there and sign over your twitch account and do this and do that then to just go with the momentum go in the other company and uh see where where that takes you yeah like I, I guess it's 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 odd for someone on the outside looking in, but it's like from, from someone from that perspective, it seemed like a no-brainer to me that he would sign with AEW. But they they did the order great as well with that because he he's the one who's the more surprising of the two. Because even though we didn't know that Brian Danielson was debuting tonight, even though we'd had like inklings about that, we knew that he was eventually going to be signing with the company because it had been rumoured for a long time. Whereas Alan Cole only recently came onto the scene as a free agent and so he's just immediately there a week after becoming a free agent and yeah it's super super cool to have him rejoining the elite it means that he doesn't need to be pushed to the world title scene straight away because obviously the world champion is his buddy but it means that there's someone down the road who Let's say we've got a certain Hangman Page still lurking in the background who might take the title off him. We have a ready-made challenger to maybe be the person that brings the belt back to the Elite just in a different way. 
And of course, Cole at any point could win the TNT championship. He could just have some great matches with a lot of people. There's a lot to look forward to when it comes to Cole and AEW. That This really strengthens the claim for a, tri- a trios title as well. Because even though the realistic one would be the, like the elite of being with uh, Omega and Jackson, uh, the Jacksons, I think that it actually makes more sense because of Kenny's stature and being so closely synonymous with the world title that having a good trios team of the Young Bucks and Adam Cole would make sense as well. And then, of course, obviously with Daniel Bryan in the mix, that he is going to have a whole litany of people that, God, I mean, this is, uh, like we were saying at the beginning of this, this is a turning point in a lot of ways. Because AEW, they're not perfect by any means. They've got more than their fair share of some flops here and there. I mean, let's not forget the Nightmare Collective, for instance. But more often than not, something's at least baseline good. And the momentum in the past couple of months has just been these big leaps. Not just like a steady increase, but they're going like, all right, this week we had this little increase and this little increase, and next week we're going to have a giant jump up. And then a little increase, a little increase, giant jump up. It's going to be one of those pay-per-views where it seems like, okay, you've got almost everybody that WWE keeps seemingly like, you know, ah, well, they're not good enough for us, so we just give them to somebody else. And then AEW is going to take them. They're going to do something really great with them, whether it's a Ruby Soho doing better than she ever did in WWE or if it's the peak of what we could get with Brian Danielson or Adam Cole doesn't go to waste or whatever. Despite the fact that there's a Paul White situation where that didn't work out as being like, okay, he's back to the way that he was back in, you know, 20 years ago. Christian's doing some great stuff. And on top of that, you're not in a situation like with TNA. It's not just the old WWE guys that are actually doing something. There are indie people that have been brought in. There are AEW like stalwarts. There are new people coming in all the time. There's people that I haven't even heard of that they come in and pretty quickly they're like, oh, you know, well, I actually really like this guy. I didn't have any idea who Wheeler U2 was. And I'm like, yeah, you know, I like him. Cool. This company is doing everything right for the most part. Yeah, they're they're hardly putting a foot wrong, and anything they do do, which is quote unquote on the wrong side of things, is pretty minor in the like in the grand scheme of everything. So, I th- yeah, I feel like at the moment they're on a really positive train of momentum, and long may it continue because I'm enjoying the hell out of their journey so far. It's definitely offsetting the fact that how shoddy and repetitive and just overall disheartening the entire WWE landscape is. So to have an alternative out there that I actually enjoy, even though, as you say, it does have its small flaws, but I don't feel like it's anything, it's, it's nothing ultimately dramatic that's going to affect my enjoyment of the product as a whole. So as long as that, um, that stays in place, then that's great. And if it gets to a point where, okay, things start to fall off for a while for AEW, then the hope is that WWE starts to pick up and then you can like balance out between the two of them. Yeah, one learns from the other one. 
yeah, that's that's always the hope that eventually both sides get so good that you actually just want to watch both of them and enjoy watching both of them. But unfortunately, only one of them, one one side feels like a chore at the moment, and it's certainly not AEW with the way that they've been going at the moment. So, yeah, I think that this was a really really good show from a wrestling perspective. But in terms of just everything that's surrounding it and the importance of the and the ramifications of what could happen from this show. I feel like it was a it's a landmark show for AEW. Might be the most one of, if not the most pivotal pivotal pay per views in their entire history. And uh, Michael Patrick sums it up with the what's been a catchphrase for a while now: "Good things are good." <laughs> as simple as it is. Uh, William also says, "I was almost expecting Bray Wyatt to come out just to put the cherry on top." What if that would have been the case? What if it would have been like? You know, nobody uh, that's uh, can can beat me because everybody's either not in the company or they're retired or they're dead. Oh, Adam Cole pops up. Oh, Daniel Bryan pops up. Oh, my God, Bray Wyatt pops up. Braun Strowman pops up. And it's like just 20 people come out one by one. I think you need to get people fainting in the crowd. I think that this was perfect, though. Like, you don't need to do any more than this. This was, uh, you got two major things at the end there happening. You got the the promise of the CM Punk return, which even though that didn't go down the way that I was hoping that it would, he's going to have better matches in the future. And you got Ruby Soho in the women's division. You got some other good stuff in the mix, too. Like the, the Jericho match was good and everything, too. You got new tag team champions and a great match there. Can't say that this is a downer pay-per-view by any means. This is obviously a thumbs up. Yep. Multiple thumbs up, I think. Ted says, AEW is taking the young guys who WWE should be building around and adding them to the talent they already have, plus rejuvenate, uh, rejuvenating retired guys. Yep, they are uh, giving a little bit of a shot of adrenaline to the people that need it for the last run of their careers, using them as some established names to get some more attention to the company while building up the younger guys. It's almost like it makes perfect sense, right? <laughs> it, it is pretty much, it just all really boils down to, it's still your phrase. Um, <laughs> It's a good booking. They're a company that books well. And so if you book well, you can have this mixture of veteran talent and ex-WWE guys and young people that have just come through the independent circuit and can build stars out of it or build people that you have an emotional investment towards. And so that's the difference. Well, that is it for All Out. We've got some major things heading towards the future that will really carry over interest into the next episode of dynamite. And I guess technically the dark episodes go before that, which how do they even do that? Did they, did they air all the things that they had taped for dark? I don't know. I know that they had recorded some stuff for elevation ahead of time. I don't know about dark, but the uh, dynamite episode, you're going to get some stuff going forward like that Malachi black against Dustin Rhodes match. Once we get in the rampage, we're going to get the match that was supposed to be on the card here between Andrade and Pac. And I don't know what else we're in store for, but I'm excited to see it. So we'll talk about all that when it comes down to the hot tags for next week. And we're recapping all the fallout from All Out. Fallout from All Out. I like that. The fallout. There you go. And uh, anything else you guys want to talk about, drop a comment below. Tell us your thoughts. And we will factor that in as well. I don't know what our main event is going to be for this week. Didn't really settle on anything, but if you have any suggestions of what you'd like to see, we're here. Then drop a comment with that thought as well. 
Any last thoughts on all this, uh, Callum? Nope, just great show. Don't really need to add too much on top of it. Just looking forward to the coming days and weeks and the journey to full gear in November. Now, that is a pay-per-view that they established is going to be November 13th. We will not have a post-show when it comes to that because I'm going to be getting married. So <laughs> it's a different uh, scenario there. And um, thank you again to Werta from the beginning of this chat with the donation to um, the Super Chat when it comes to that. But we won't be able to do the same kind of setup for that. But we will eventually talk about full gear in, in some fashion down the line, the week afterward or whatever it might be. You'll get our opinions here and there. Um, yeah. The all-out stuff's out of the way. And um, you know, make sure that you subscribe if you haven't done that already. Ring that little notification so where you know when we go live for whatever it is that we do go live for, which I'm pretty sure the next edition is going to be the mailbag for quarter four. And then... If you stay tuned to happening to the happenings, I should say, over on smartcatmoment.com and you follow the Facebook and Twitter accounts at smartcatmoment, you do the same things over to fanboysanonymous.com and you check out everything that's happening there, like the Review to a Kill series, but the James Bond franchise, which coming up soon, we're going to get the latest entry in the Bond uh, series, which is crazy that it's finally happening. It took like six years, but it's, you know, No Time to Die is coming out in a couple weeks. So check that out. Check out the Austin Power stuff we were talking about. If you want some crossover content between Fanboys and Smart Out Moment, you should check out the fan tracks for Jungle Cruise, starring The Rock, and the fan tracks for Vacation Friends, starring John Cena. One of them, a lot more entertaining than the other one. And it was kind of surprising how that ended up working out. But that stuff is all good. You can follow me at Tony Mango. You can follow everything else under a mango tree by searching under a mango tree. That's the whole point and check out what I've got on other kind of freelance stuff. You'll find it. If you start clicking around, follow Callum as well. Yep. You can find me on Twitter at Wigmeister 14. Uh, also check out all the stuff on smartcatmoment.com. Power rankings is my week to week contribution, but make sure you're checking out everything else as well. If you're interested in the retro side of wrestling content, then you can check out either 2001 A Wrestling Odyssey or the Paul Heyman Smackdown podcast over in the either YouTube uh, archives, their playlists out for that, or just checking out the podcast feeds. You'll be able to find him digging around in there somewhere. So, yeah, that's it for me. All right, everybody, that's going to do us in for this edition. Thank you for listening. Thank you for the super chats. Thank you for the regular chats. Thank you for the likes and the follows and everything else that's happening there. We will see you next time. But for now, this has been another Smart Out moment. And we're being counted out.